It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. This is the best of my Times Radio show, which you can hear Monday to Thursday on Times Radio on DAB Smart Speaker on the Times Radio app or... Um, oh, what's the other one? Oh, at times.radio. There we go. Uh, anyway, you can listen to us in uh, all sorts of ways, but we bring you the best on the, on the Red Box podcast. Uh, today, we continue the Times columnists uh, focus group. It's a particularly good one, this, where they say try to sum up uh, all the party leaders in a single word. It may come as a surprise to you, but sometimes columnists uh, can't do it in a single word and need uh, a whole sentence. Uh, we've also got Disunited Kingdom, a very special one where we check in with uh, political journalists from across the UK to find out what is happening uh, uh, there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Tish United Kingdom is coming up, but first, it's the latest part of our Times Columnist Focus Group. I'm going to say a politician's name. I just want us to, I'm gonna go, we're going to go round, I'll structure it this time, so I'll go round with person by person. I just want you to sum up that person in a word. Um, so, we're going to start with Boris Johnson, and I'll start with Rachel. Slippery. Robert? Gosh. Esther? Blonde. Danny? I don't know. One word. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the single word is for likes to be liked. Okay, you can have that. Libby? Spaniel. Alice? Damaged. David? Did Robert say <laughs> <laughs> No, I said, I said posh. Did you? Oh, <laughs> John? Clown. <coughs> Clown. Same thing again then, guys, for another politician. Uh, Keir Starmer. Uh, John, start with you this time. Oh, God. Um, Portillo. David? Ernest. Alice? I was going to say Ernest too, so that's a problem for him, isn't it? Mm. It's quite dull and predictable then. Libby? I was going to say Ernest as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Ernest. Danny? Serious. Yeah, but we're all saying the same thing. Esther? Eachily. Robert? Uh, I used to play football against, I used to play football against Kia uh, 20 odd years ago, so I would say fit, and I mean fit as in the old-fashioned sense of the word, as in you can <laughs> run around a lot, as opposed to the, the, the being tremendously attractive. Very good. Rachel? Uh, competent. Okay. Fit, serious and competent. That's our assessment of Keir Starmer. But a few people said earnest. Tell, tell me what you mean by that. It, since you have a one word thinking about him, is his, um, he's not a great smiler and he's not a great user of flowery language uh, or anything like that. So he, he, and he appears to mean what he says when he says it. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, earnest should be a really good word, but for some reason... There's always an edge to it, isn't there? So that actually, it's Ernest is slightly too um, monochrome, dull, can't take a joke. But that's what we should want after Boris, really, because he is actually the opposite of Boris. Because one thing you would never say about Boris is that he's Ernest. No. 
Yeah, we used to have a babysitter who used to describe suddenly said, oh, yes, you say, oh, he's very always earnest pressing forward. He's very earnest pressing forward. <laughs> There's that somehow in, in Keir Starmer. Um, I was, you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he's my he's my daughter's uh, local MP, and she thought a great deal of him till he started wailing for more lockdowns. What about uh, Ed Davey, Rachel? Who? 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 That, that, that is a word. Who? I was going to say no who? words are banned. Yeah. Rachel. I was going to say who. Who? As in. Yeah. Boring. Yeah. Who? Who? I mean, I I, I just asked Irrelevant. him about things just before. Danny. Well, I, I, Dal is the right word. Put bad in politically, I wouldn't say necessarily personally, but certainly dull, dull politically. John? Not Paddy Ashton. David? Neglected. Alice? Uh, the, uh, funnily, he's got a very good backstory. So although I said who, I do know his backstory and he's been extremely kind. He has very, um, a child with disabilities and he's, very, um, he's got a very complicated childhood himself. So there's more to him than you think, but we're never going to know that. Libby? I, I was going to say who originally as well, just because I, I don't, I just, I can't get a bead on him. I wish I did have some of the backstory. I think we need to hear that more often. And Esther? Um, the word that springs to mind is actually coalition, because I, that was when I first started covering politics, when he was in, when he was in the capital, and it's a sort of, hangover memory of that era, but he doesn't really stand out that much for anything he's done since. What about Rishi Sunak? Uh, I'll go around again. Um, Libby, Rishi Sunak. Merlin. Okay. <coughs> David? Slick. John? Very rich. Alice? Smooth. Esther? I was also going to say slick, I'm afraid. Robert? Lucky. Rachel? Neat. And Danny. Nice. Okay. Very good. That's an interesting mix. And final one, Nicola Sturgeon. Alice. Angry. David. Plausible. John. Successful. Danny. Wrong. Rachel. <laughs> uh, Campaigny. Robert. Brilliant. Esther. Danny. And Libby. Opportunist. <laughs> there we are. That is... Quite the quite the mixture there, and I think it's always quite interesting when people can't even come up with a word to describe someone because it suggests they haven't uh, really uh, spelt themselves out yet. Uh, so this is the Times Radio Times Columnist Focus Group. All eight columnists who normally appear on my show every uh, morning at ten thirty, all together on a focus group chaired by James Johnson, who used to do focus groups for Number Ten. Uh, so James also asked whether Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer would still be in their current roles by the end of twenty twenty one. Christmas this year, here we all are. This time next year, do we think Keir and Boris will still be leaders of their respective parties? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yes, I do, yeah. yeah. Any dissenters? No, I, I, I think so too. But, you know, in many ways, I don't think it's an important question. I mean, think about the year that we've got coming up and how it's got to play out. Um, I... I think there was a real argument for a significant realignment during the course of the year to deal with the, with the pandemic. And we didn't take it. It was impossible because of our structures and so on. Um, uh, this next year is going to be about the rollout of the vaccine, the aftermath of the pandemic, whatever it is that manages to result from Brexit, either the poor deal or the no deal. And then after that, 
a really difficult time for a whole lot of fellow citizens who are going to be in deep and deepening as we go through the year and it's almost impossible to pass that and during the course of that one of the things you kind of find it difficult to care very much about is the fate of uh, Boris Johnson. Yeah, I, I think it will be a very difficult year for the government this year. I agree with those who think that Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer will still be heading their respective parties and one of them will still be in Downing Street and the other won't um, by the end of the year. I don't think that's going to change but I think it will be a very difficult um, year for the government because I think that when the economy is in trouble, the government's in trouble, and the economy will be in trouble for a combination of reasons connected both to COVID and uh, to Brexit. It, will, it, by the way, will not be in trouble directly because of uh, not doing a, a deal or doing a deal that uh, is inadequate on Brexit. It will be, uh, that may even boost it with some of its uh, supporters. It'll be in trouble uh, because of the consequences of that, if they are, as I think they will be, um, you know, poor for the country's economy. Uh, so that's the uh, that's the boring stuff. Let's focus on what we really want to know, and uh, is what the Times columnists think about Christmas. So James asked them about Christmas crackers, and whether we should cut down on them to avoid the waste. To, to merge the recent um, recent government initiatives with uh, with with Christmas, um, what's our position on crackers? Should, you know, do we do we think crackers should continue? Should they be banned to cut down on paper waste? No, they a better presence in. One day, one day a year, and there's always something interesting in them. Uh, and I'd rather cut down on all the junk mail that I get all the time, all through the year. I think one day a year entitled to waste a little bit of silver paper. Um, this is going to surprise you, but I really like crackers. It's that almost the only bit I do like, etc. But I just think they should be much bigger and much more elaborate. I think it's. Um, I, I think we've been. I, I think some innovator or entrepreneur could come up with something much more interesting than a traditional two-bit cracker, which usually splits, you know, badly, etc. You could have a kind of four or five-bit cracker with five people could pull simultaneously, and out from the middle would jump something really magnificent. So I'd like to see crackers just really extended and very much more interesting than they are. But I, I like them. Instead of jokes, we could put one of we could put a little political quote from Boris Johnson with one of his political views on it, and then we wouldn't know what we would get. It would be a surprise every time. Uh, it would be great fun. I think we should ban them if I need to stop my dad doing the same thing he does every year, where he does this like skit where he pretends to be this guy working in the Christmas cracker factory, and he's processing all these really good jokes and then throwing them away <laughs> i hate the hats though what's everyone's position on hats i love I've the got a really big head so i hate the hats oh, yeah i mean as, as my hair has come out this year <laughs> i hardly have any hair left uh i'm for the hats i shall be wearing several yeah, well, due, for due, uh, you know, um, a religious occasion wouldn't be complete without a hat. So it's just time you just got into the into the picture. Well, that would be quite good, wouldn't it, actually, if we all had to wear kippers instead of... Uh, <laughs> and, and it really would be, because one of the things that's great when you go to a kind of Jewish uh, event is that you can get really fabulously embroidered ones and people kind of outdo themselves with the kind of kippers they've got. And I, I really like that. The key thing is to make sure that you get the right size. Don't get the little ones. They, they fall <laughs> off your head. And you can hear more of the Times Economist Focus Group on the Red Box podcast tomorrow. Coming up next, Disunited Kingdom, a very festive special.
You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Now it's time for Dish United Kingdom. Joining us today, Scottish political editor of the Times, Kieran Andrews. Morning, Kieran. Hello, ho, ho, Matt. <laughs> That's exactly the spirit. That's exactly what we want, <laughs> Kieran. It's lovely, uh, lovely to talk to you. It's a shame we're not doing this in one of the fine Scottish hostelries that you've occasionally taken me to. Uh, but this uh, this Zoom call will have to suffice, as uh, as it will for everyone else. Um, uh, covering England for us, uh, we've got Joey Scott, who's the Westminster correspondent of the Yorkshire Post. Hi, Joey. Good morning. I mean, less festive, but nice to have you with us Sorry. anyway. <laughs> uh, from uh, Wales, the political editor of Wales Online, Will Hayward joins us. Hi, Will. I'm desperately brainstorming Christmas intro puns as you were talking then, trying to have something yeah, festive. I, I, I was just trying to think, is there something with tin, tinsel, something like that? Anyway, uh, not to worry. Um, nice to have you anyway, Will. And uh, finally, Alison Morris, security correspondent with the Irish News. Uh, morning, Alison. Good morning. Nice to have you all with us. So, Kieran Windsor, Kieran's uh, got a, uh, wins with a bonus point for his uh, his festive greeting. So, let's stick with Christmas to start with. Then, uh, what are the Christmas rules where you are, uh, and and uh, and to what extent do you think people are uh, going to comply? Because I mean, for me, there's always been this sort of slight disconnect between. Sometimes the media's portrayal of people who are apparently itching to have 200 people round for turkey dinners uh, and actually a lot of people, you know, quite um, content to just sort of do the right thing and keep it small this year. So what what are the, the, the Christmas rules where you are? Let's start with you in Scotland, Kieran Andrews. The Christmas rules here are actually pretty similar to the rules for everywhere in England that's not in Tier 4, which is that the the rules that were in place that were originally supposed to be in place for five days around having um, no more than eight people from three households um, meeting up at a time are are in place, but only on Christmas Day. That has been um, countered, however, by Nicola Sturgeon and um, the Scottish Government and the clinicians in Scotland advising really that unless you feel it's absolutely necessary to um, see somebody else on Christmas Day, particularly indoors, that you shouldn't do it. It will be allowed, but there's a yeah a strong push from the government advising people against it. Um, and I think that seems to have been largely taken on board. I don't get the sense that, although people are disappointed, I don't really get the sense that there's many people, like you say, planning to um, uh, get all their sets of grandparents, aunties, uncles and everyone round to uh, to hug and kiss and, and break the rules. And um, What might be slightly more difficult is that from Boxing Day in Scotland, everywhere moves into level four, which isn't quite the same as tier four in England, isn't quite so strict, but it's it's almost there. It's very close to being a, a full lockdown. And everywhere on the mainland will shift to that on Boxing Day. And it'll be interesting to see some of the places that have been in very low levels, particularly in more rural areas that have been right down on level one, have shifted straight up to that. And it'll be interesting to see whether people abide by the rules there or or think levels are so low they don't really need to. Yeah, no. OK, so that's a picture in Scotland. What's it like in Northern Ireland, Alison Morris? Well, there's been a bit of chopping and changing over the last week and we've had two emergency executive meetings that have taken place on Sunday and Monday night. But basically where we are now is that they've changed the, the Christmas bubble and arrangement to one day. So you pick your day between the 23rd and 27th of December to form the Christmas bubble. They did this to allow flexibility for people who work on Christmas Day. And it can still um, be three households, but they are asking people to keep the numbers of people at a minimum. 
um, and the same as it was before, you know, strongly advise not to, not to travel, minimise the distance you spend indoors together, all the, the usual sort of advice. Um, the other issue that has been raising its sort of head this week is the travel ban. Will Northern Ireland ban travel from Britain? Will they in, uh, restrict travel from the south of Ireland? And all that was what was, was being discussed at the executive meeting. They have decided not to do that and instead came up with a guidance which is basically saying people should travelling to Northern Ireland should isolate for ten days. I mean the whole thing's ridiculous because anyone who lives and works in, in in anywhere in England or Scotland or Wales and travels home for Christmas is usually doing it for four or five days. So I'm not sure how they're isolating for for ten days. Um, and they're also advising then as of Boxing Day we'll go into a full lockdown, which is actually much stricter than our March lockdown. That will include um, for at least one week a curfew between eight pm and six. 6am, everything will shut except for essential retail and they actually changed the restrictions on what essential retail was during our last lockdown. I think that anyone who stuck a shelf of um, bleach on their in their shop counts as essential retail. Um, you, you know, you sold a pack of the paracetamol behind the counter and all of a sudden you're essential retail so they've closed down the, the criteria on that to make that much, much more stricter. So we'll begin to a very strict lockdown. The Christmas bubble still exists but they're now, rather than being allowed for five days, it's only going to be allowed for one day. Yeah, there's a shop near me. That's it's usually like a men's clothes shop. They sell sort of suits and jaunty shirts and that sort of thing. And they've they've uh, the front of their shop is now an Italian deli, uh, which um, sells sort of <laughs> um, uh, uh, meats and cheeses and various you know ch- Italian biscuits. So you can pop in there and pick up you know, a, a, a panettone. You had a pair of trousers. Um, okay. Which is their way of uh, of getting around the the, the rules there. Um, uh, what's the picture in Wales? Will Hayward uh, for Wales Online. What can, what can you, uh, what does Christmas in Wales look like? Uh, well, Christmas in Wales has changed quite a lot over the last week. Um, on Friday, it were, we were told it was just um, there was uh, going down to uh, two households, but the guidance, the advice was that it was just one, and then they on the same day legislated to make it joining with just one household, and then this was all rendered fairly moot because on Saturday, Wales was taken into a full lockdown. So this is the first time um, that Wales has been in a a tiered system. We've had local lockdowns before, but this is going to be, we're all now in a level four lockdown across the whole of Wales. So from the places in the valleys, which have got huge incidents of the virus, uh, right up to Anglesey, uh, we are all um, uh, in the same level. Um, In terms of Christmas Day, Uh, It's only um, uh, one household coming together. Um, You have to go to the house and uh, leave the house the same day. Um, And um, all of this was going to come in on the 28th, 28th, this lockdown. But um, because of the um, spiralling cases, Wales is now the second highest in the world um, based on population. Uh, and the prevalence of the new strain, which they've realised is now far more widespread in Wales than they thought, they've uh, opted to uh, act now. So it's going to be a very locked down Christmas in Wales. What's the what's the sort of political reaction to that in Wales, Will? Because for, for a while, certainly the sort of Westminster conversation was, well, look, Wales are having a fire break uh, lockdown. Uh, Wales are, are not doing this. Wales, you know, Wales are shutting the border from England because they didn't want all of the, the dirty corona coming over the border. And yet, um, I read the story, was it yesterday that you wrote, that Wales now has the second worst coronavirus infection rate in the world. What's, what's going on in Wales? It, it feels sitting in England, like Wales has, has had sort of tougher rules for longer and it, um, Mark Drakeford has sort of had this tougher line, but it doesn't seem to have done much good. 
Yeah, it certainly feels here like we've had tougher rules for longer. Um, we, um, the Welsh Government have made a couple of mistakes, which I think um, even the, they'd acknowledge themselves. The fire break should have been longer than two weeks. And uh, two weeks ago, when they saw the cases going up, they should have done more than restrict just hospitality. They introduced the 6pm closing times and the alcohol sales ban, which at the time people did think was, was remarkably strict. I think in part they've been... Um, unlucky in that they in acting first we went into the fire break first and then we came out of our fire break when England went into their lockdown and we came out of the fire break into fairly relaxed uh, rules and I think cases quickly started going up again and I think when area uh, England saw this they actually opted for a, a stricter rules when they came out of their lockdown because they had the Welsh examples to draw upon and uh, because Wales acted first, they didn't have that data to draw on on what would be working well and what wouldn't in terms of restrictions. So they've absolutely made some mistakes. And I think they've also um, almost shot themselves in the foot by acting first because they haven't been able to make as informed decisions as other parts of the UK. OK, so that's the picture in Wales. Right, Joey Scott, Westminster correspondent at the Yorkshire Post. Now, I, I suppose for a while, Joey, you were pleased to be in London because uh, Yorkshire was you know, under much uh, tighter restrictions and now... Uh, London is in tier four and much of Yorkshire is in tier three or tier two. So where are you spending your Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it depends where you want me to uh, talk about where I am or where I report on. Um, but I'm in London for Christmas. I haven't uh, um, been part of the mass exodus because um, if my mother saw me in any of those photos of those trains, I would get a clip round the ear and quite rightly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so London's in tier four, isn't it? It kind of can't do nothing, can't pass go almost a full lockdown apart from religious services allowed but up in Yorkshire um we're still looking at tier three um no meeting up with groups kind of in our outdoors but shops are open you can get takeaways from hospitality and for Christmas on one day only you can form that Christmas um bubble but I think what's really worrying for places like Yorkshire actually is what's going to happen after Christmas we're seeing all these stories aren't we of kind of tier four for the for all of England and uh, tougher restrictions, national lockdown, and for places in Yorkshire that have been under strict measures for so long now, months and months and months and months and months, this is going to be really, really difficult to stomach. And I wouldn't be surprised if the message that we start getting in the next few days is looking at what support is going to be offered to these areas, you know, such as West Yorkshire, for example, who have really been under the cross for a long time now and um you can't really blame people for having had enough of it i don't think i think you could well be right now we we um we, we obviously need everyone has had their own uh, local uh, rule breakers um the, the latest one kieran andrews nicola sturgeon uh, joining the ranks of well you had margaret ferrier before the smp mp obviously dominic cummings in uh england as well um uh, explain what exactly has happened with nicola sturgeon not wearing a mask so Nicola Sturgeon was photographed at a, a funeral wake um, where she was standing up um, speaking to a group of um, older women, albeit socially distanced, but not wearing a face covering. And the, the rules in Scotland are that any time you're in a, a hostelry or, or indoors, then you should be... Um, you should be wearing a, a face covering when you're standing up. So basically, unless you're sitting at the table waiting to be served, you should have your face covering on. So Nicola Sturgeon, um, yeah, has, has been photographed without a face covering, standing up, having a chat, um, a social distance chat, and uh, she's apologised for that. The The photo found its way to the Scottish Sun, who put it on its front page today, and uh, yeah, Nicola Sturgeon is a, 
issued a pretty um, profuse apology and said it was a stupid mistake that she's kicking herself over. <laughs> yes, and, and there have been lots of people in that. Do you, I, I don't. I mean, my hunch is it, it won't have much impact on her politically, given that. She just seems to have defied all political logic uh, so far this year, both her own personal weightings and support for independence. I would be surprised if it, if it had a massive effect. I think people who don't like Nicola Sturgeon will be absolutely outraged. People who do like her will um, you know, defend her and say it's it's a fairly minor um, breach of the rules, which you know, in the grand scheme of things it, it is. Um, she's not over-hugging the women or doing anything like that. Um, and the fact she got out and apologised quickly will, um, will will help her. It will be interesting to see the one thing, if if it just chips away at all at, uh, at the kind of trust that's there in Nicola Sturgeon. She's, she's communicated, by and large, communicated very well and built up a degree in trust that, you know, she is... Um, She's kind of struggling her way through this and doing the best she can. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone, you know, if anyone kind of feels that this is maybe one rule for for her and one rule for the rest of us, which is something Nicola Sturgeon has generally avoided um, appearing, um, you know, to kind of follow that politician's diktat. Uh, although, again, the fact that it's at a funeral wake, I suspect, means that there'll be a little bit of leeway given as well, just, you know, given the, the obvious... Um, Emotions that will be there at, at anyone's funeral. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. The other big political news story of the day, well, it's an anniversary, I suppose. A hundred years today since the Irish Government Act. Alison Morris, explain the significance of that. Um, and presumably, were it not for coronavirus, there might be there might have been some events to properly mark this. There would have been, and, and I mean, there are plans to have events during the year, which, like everything that happens here, becomes a very controversial thing. So. Saying you know this this day a hundred years ago, the the words which created the Irish border for the first time were contained in the the nineteen um, twenty Government of Ireland Act, um, and that's obviously what created the, this contested state that I currently live in. Um, and interestingly, this, just today, the, the the sort of controversy around this goes on. So the Northern Ireland Office had been you know attempting to launch some side of you know celebration type events. Um, and to to mark the centenary, and as part of that, they used a, a portrait of of Seamus Heaney on um, on some of their brand and literature. It's our story in the making, and that caused controversy because Seamus Heaney, as a poet, you know, was a sort of proud nationalist, and you know, was famous for his you know famous line, "Be advised, my passport's green. No glass of ours was ever raised to toast the Queen." And there was people were asking, did they ask permission? Before they used his portrait, they said they did. They had asked the Seamus Heaney Centre, Queen's University, and they'd been given permission. But the director of that centre came out yesterday and said he gave no such permission. So the mystery surrounding who, who gave permission for Seamus Heaney's portrait to be used by the NIO continues. But rather hilariously, it's been turned into a million and one memes where people have been putting um, equally unlikely people, such as Bernadette McCallisky and all sorts of other people, under the NIO's branding literature claiming that they're now supporting it. You know, petitions contested here. You know, half of the population um, is against and believes it never should have happened and half of the population want to celebrate it. So we have to find a way to, to make those both so that people get to obviously celebrate the formation of the state and those who think that the state's been a failure also get to talk about why they, they think that's the case. Um, unfortunately, at this point in time, with coronavirus, it's just turned into a sort of online slagging match rather than anything constructive. <laughs> Well, what, well, I suppose you know, in the absence of anything else, there's a way to spend Christmas arguing with each other on uh, on social media. On um, uh, hundred years it, ago, well, yeah, I'd rather have that exactly, to talk about exactly, 
Exactly. Right, in a sec, I want to ask you about uh, your festive traditions uh, and your favourite stories of the year, or basically anything to cheer us up. Uh, we'll do that next on Dish United Kingdom. Kathy at Christmas on Times Radio. Join Kathy Newman as she looks back on 2020 with the best and biggest stories and interviews from across the year. Kathy Newman at Christmas, Christmas Day afternoon from four on Times Radio. Matt Chorley, mid morning on Times Radio. Okay, so we're doing Dish United Kingdom, speaking to four of our favourite regular contributors uh, to the feature, where we find out what's happening in the four corners of the UK. Uh, so we've got Kieran Andrews, uh, the Scottish British Collector of the Times, Jerry Scott is the Westminster correspondent from the Yorkshire Post, Alison Moyce uh, is security correspondent with the Irish News, and Will Hayward is political editor of Wales Online. Who wants to kick us off with something nice and festive? <laughs> Brilliant! Total silence. Total silence. Right, Kieran, you can go first because you were a bit, you were a bit festive and jolly at the beginning. Any festive traditions or festive stories to share with us? Well, my festive traditions have have both been cancelled this year. Actually, in, in recent years, um, even before um, joining the Times, I'd, I'd been working every Christmas, and this year, um, my good bosses have have given me the time off. Uh, unfortunately, the other festive tradition that I generally have is that. Um, along with my siblings and nieces and nephews, we all gather at my parents' house on Boxing Day and uh, and meet for what starts off as a fairly sensible affair before descending into, um, uh, you know, lubricated party games and um, uh, pictionary that always has to start. Every drawing has to start with a circle, and you know these these kind of fun things that I'm not sure will quite have the same impact over a over a zoom call um even more chaotic in that sort of situation <laughs> yeah i think yeah, i'm not sure i suppose i suppose picture is possibly something you could do on zoom although without yeah it might not seem uh, quite so much uh fun uh, right where should we go now let's go to uh, jerry scott what are your your festive traditions normally and what you're doing instead this year Oh, so my festive traditions normally, my family's from uh, Norfolk, um, so uh, we would go and see the seals on Horsey Beach and have a Ooh, Christmas nice. Day walk, um, which is a lovely activity, but you've got to stay away from them, it's very, very important. You get sometimes get some pictures of like people trying to put their toddlers on top of the seals and all sorts, <laughs> and it's an awful situation, so don't put your toddlers on top of seals if you're going to see the Horsey Seals this year, is my advice. Um, That's news you can use, usually, that's good advice. Usually on Christmas Eve, it's just... Uh, me and my mum um and in recent years as i'm clearly not a child anymore we've um taken to cracking open the baileys on christmas eve and um sometimes opening our presents like um like children frankly that can't wait until the morning so uh, but yes unfortunately not this year this year i'll be holed up in my flat uh, in london with my with my partner but probably still with the baileys to be honest yeah, ba- Baileys will make everything seem much, much better. Um, uh, Alison Morris uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, what, how would you normally spend Christmas and how are you doing it this year? Well, yeah, normally I have seven brothers and sisters. You add to that wives and children and we are literally the population of a small country when we, we all get together <laughs> with, with Big Alice, my terrifying mother, at the, at the head of all that. But this year, obviously, we're all going to have to do, sort of do our own Christmas at home. But I suppose one of the sort of big traditions that would have been from my childhood is that people on, on Christmas Eve went to midnight mass, often with the adults with a few drinks on them, and teenagers would have been, you know, giggling and flirting around with each other at the back. But this year, midnight mass is online, but there's only so many tickets, and we sold out really quickly. So apparently, there's people trying to flog tickets for the online midnight mass online and charging people money for them. There's like tickets. Why is there a limit? Sure, the whole point. 
Sure, the whole point I mean, of online is that you can have as many people as you want there. Why is there a limit well, on the numbers? Whole, the whole thing was they're allowing like a limited amount of people into the church. And to get into the church, I don't know what you had to do. You think you had to be on the right hand of our Lord or something to be allowed into, into the church. Um, and then they had said that there would be a limited amount of tickets. I'm assuming their technology isn't the greatest to allow people to stream online. And it's it's become, you know, quite quite the thing among the, the hardcore Catholic population who are you know ready to beat each other for a ticket to midnight mass at this stage. Who knew? Who knew? Well, we were speaking to, to um, uh, Tristan Baker about an hour ago, and they've been they've been doing sort of carol services and uh, services and that sort of thing in a, in a drive-in cinema. So I mean, you know, maybe maybe that's the answer. <laughs> uh, uh, finally, then Will Hayward in uh, Wales. How are you? How, how would you normally celebrate Christmas, and what you're doing instead this year? Well, normally, I'd, uh, bizarrely, my family, we always seem to watch the film Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which makes no sense because it's nothing to do with Christmas. But um, um, in Instead, we'd actually we'd actually got some plans. So I'm uh, I'm not from Wales originally, and I've discovered last year one of the, the best Welsh Christmas t- traditions, which is the Mary Floyd, which is essentially they get a, a horse's skull and they dress it up and they just march around the village and they knock on doors, and then you kind of, the horse will well the person under the horse's skull will shout insults at the person, the person will shout insults back, and if they like them they'll let them in, and if you let them in it's supposed to be good luck. And it's it's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And I actually only came across <laughs> it because I, last Christmas we had a Christmas party at a bar called Club If or Bach, which is a Welsh language club. And um, there was loads of horse skulls just dancing around. And everyone who was from Wales in our um, office found it absolutely amazing. And I found it the most surreal thing ever. So we were hoping. Oh, to and I thought the Midnight Mars thing was strange, but that's like <laughs> a whole new level, isn't it? A load of anonymous people. <laughs> A load of anonymous people shouting insults to each other. Just, that's just that's the sort of uh, the internet, isn't it? I mean, that is that is uh, that is Twitter. Twitter come come to life. Uh, go on then. Who wants it? We've got only a couple of minutes left. Has someone got a nice, cheerful story to send Dish United Kingdom on its way? Yeah, you know what? I was looking back through um, some stories by our colleague Mike Wade, and he wrote a lovely story last month about some older people who have had a good pandemic and really inspirational. One of them is a woman, Sheila uh, McGowan, who's 84, diabetic, every morning uh, gets up, goes to her swimming club when, you know, when, when they're open and allowed, goes for a swim, comes back, climbs the 74 steps into her Edinburgh Newtown home and does it so easily that sometimes she almost goes into her neighbour's house because she's expecting another flight of stairs. Um, it was just amongst all the gloom it was really nice to hear and read about some uplifting human stories. That's nice. That's exactly what we were looking for, Kieran. I think we've got time for one more if somebody wants to chip in. Well, it's not a um, it's not a newspaper story as such, but uh, we've had um, some really good news about the coronavirus vaccine in our family. My partner's grandfather, who was in his 90s, managed to get it, and it means that hopefully soon he'll be able to be reunited with his wife uh, margaret who's 17 in a care home they've been married for um, sorry married for over 70 years and uh wow. have been having to you know oh interact God. for a window all year so um i know that's a personal story but actually i think it really underlines how important it is to get the vaccine rolled out to people and that they'll be able to be reunited soon and that's warmed that's warmed my heart this christmas oh that's that's exactly what we want to get. And it, it, it also, it, because we hear about, you know, how many tests have been done and how many vaccinations have been done, but it's the, it's the human stories behind it, which is really important. Um, uh, Alison and Will, either of you got anything you want to share? 
Um, unfortunately, that's all doom and gloom here. I don't know why you would ever ask anyone from Northern Ireland to tell you something happy. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> that's not in our DNA. It's just fine. It's all down to Will then. Uh, Will, can you uh, rescue us a fun, uh, a fun or nice story from Wales from any point in the last twelve months? Okay, well, stay with me on it because it's actually from the floods we saw in the valleys back in. Uh, Brilliant. Uh, yeah, that's in, great. Good. <laughs> February. Um, interviewed a, a guy called Peter Morgan who was uh, 89 and he got rescued from the upstairs of his house and he became really well known because of the video of him waving at people from his upstairs window and throwing his keys out to the people in the uh, to the fire brigade and he got sailed off down the um, the high street um, giving thumbs up to people and then he ended up being put up it was the uh, fourth time he'd actually been flooded and uh, a local pub actually put him up and he became a bit of a local celebrity and people would just come in bring him some food just have a chat with him and um, he became a bit of a a local legend in Monmouth for uh, uh, having done that. So it was something nice and uh, that came out of something quite horrible and showed how nice some of the communities here and uh, are. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Listen to my Times radio show every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, you can listen on DAB Radio, on your smart speaker. Get the Times Radio app. You can also listen to the Red Box podcast of the Times Radio app as well. And if you want to read about the stories that we've been talking about, then you need a Times subscription to get that. Go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. Mm-hmm.